that's why. Sorry, I just Googled Rocky Raccoon. I was like, why does this sound familiar? Oh, it's a Beatles song. Rocky uh, yeah. Raccoon, based on the Beatles. <laughs> Rocky Raccoon was released on the Beatles self-titled album, or the White Album, whichever you prefer, apparently in 1968. And this comic is from when? 1970-something? 1975 is when both of these came out. It's seven years after the Beatles song. So they call him Rocky Raccoon after he's named after a Beatles song, and then they rebranded him probably because of copyright law. Oh, Wikipedia says, inspired by the Beatles song, Rocky Raccoon. He is British. He is British. Other references to the song were featured in Rocket's appearance in The Incredible Hulk 271, which came out in May 2 Cosmic Tales Episode 8, a Guardians of the Galaxy podcast. I'm Jesse Butler, and I'm joined with Kit Paris. I'm Jeff Davis. And Keenan Kibrick. This episode, we are talking about Marvel Preview Number 4 and Marvel Preview 7. So do you want to give a little feedback of what Marvel Preview is a little bit before we get started? Yeah, so Marvel Preview was kind of what it sounds, a preview. It was really more like their beta test. So they would do a story and then wait for feedback to see if they should do more stories of that character. So it's kind of like how they do free issues now with a really quick introduction of the character and see kind of how the audience takes it and if they should pursue it or not. Right. So they are black and white comics because those were, you know, easier to get to print for a kind of test. They were, the actual issues were surprisingly long, so they often would have several different stories in a single issue. And yeah, they'd get an author and an artist and have them try something out. And if people liked it, they would do some more. And if people liked it a lot, they would, might spin it off to a new title. So I'm trying to find who is the original author of Star Lord. So this first story, according to my front page here, so I have the Star-Lord Guardian of the Galaxy trade, which actually collects pretty much all of his pre-Guardians, or at least pre-Annihilation appearances. Shiny. It is very shiny. And so it says author is Steve Engelhart, and art is Steve Gann. I don't see credits for letterers or editors or any of that. Actually, I see it, and they are saying the editor is... Oh, hold on, it's like literally the part that's... Archie Goodwin is the editor, and... John Warner is the associate editor. Marv Wolfman and Roy Thomas consulting editors. So, pretty much, it was Steve Englehart's baby. For me, who doesn't know Steve Englehart that much, anyone want to explain what that means? Is he really... What did he do mainly, so I know, or the audience can know? I would be happy to look up his Wikipedia page, because I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. just reading that brief intro page at the beginning of the comic, Everything about the origin of Star-Lord and who Peter Quill is, just reading that 
you know, three column page. It all makes sense the way it was written. Steve Englehart definitely had a thing for astrology. So that explains why there are a lot of specific dates put in this comic. Looking back at it from now, I find these dates hilarious, especially when we get to that 1990 space station. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. We should say one thing about this. And I will say this right now, audience, I at least, I think all of us are going to be ranting about this thing. I was told by Jesse, and this is something we should all know, Chris Claremont after this takes over the writing of Star-Lord, mm-hmm. and then it becomes a very interesting, very good comic. Right now, just be prepared for what Star-Lord is, and just, just roll with what we're going to talk about, this origins, and then understand it changes. So Steve Englehart is pretty well known for some work on the Avengers, Doctor Strange, and Green Lantern. He also worked on Justice League, so he switched back and forth between Marvel and DC, and he also wrote a few novels. I can see how, being interested in the occult and astrology, how Doctor Strange would be a title he should be writing. And Green Lantern. All right, so should we dive into this thing? It starts off with some talk about celestial alignments and showing that there was a celestial alignment for the birth of Christ, and then, you know, 2,000 years later, another celestial alignment, not quite 2,000 years, as it's, uh, we actually have a birth date for Star-Lord, because his astrology sign is important for this comic. Sunday, February 4th, 1962. It starts with the most lovely first page of a horrible father who doesn't believe the child is his, who and, like, literally just-born child, who he then takes away from his mother, like, right at birth, and then proceeds to try to kill it. Maybe it's just because the stuff we've been reading has been somewhat fluffy, I guess. This was really difficult to read at first. I wasn't expecting oh, absolutely. it. And it totally took me back. I had to take a break and then come back to it. Oh, yeah. No, completely. It was that crazy. But then, of course, as he tries to kill the child, he has a heart attack and just dies. And the child lays on the ground looking up to the stars. Now, I'm going to say right now, This is actually what I thought would be the start of a really good comic book character, like tragic character. Mm -hmm. And knowing the rest of it, it just dampens this because we're going to see who Star-Lord is. And it's actually very good how it kind of foreshadows who he is by who his father is, I think, Mm -hmm. a little bit. Who the man in the beginning is. Right. The man in the beginning is, yeah. That the man in the beginning is his father. He will definitely not be his father in the next issue because they take the mysterious father thing. I want to say Englehart here was trying to imply a virgin birth, but Chris Claremont's going to adjust that. But it's interesting how, like, yes, Star-Lord as a character is kind of a jerk in this issue, but there are elements in here that they keep and kind of transform for his future backstory. So as an astronomy nerd, not knowing an awful lot about astrology, I did look up his birth date. And at sunset on February 4th, 1962, there was a solar eclipse, which I thought was pretty telling. Yeah, so I definitely researched the celestial mechanics of this. And I'll say, after this this auspicious beginning, the kind of origin beginnings of Star-Lord are pretty understandable. I like how they depict his mother as kind of after that birth and everything, after that tragedy, she's withdrews from life physically and mentally ill. It, it paints a good picture for Star-Lord's upbringing. It does, and it also reminds me a bit of Orison Scott Card stories. Every single young male protagonist in a card story is this outcast who is misunderstood and dreams of something bigger and then fulfills this destiny. And that was the first thing I thought of reading this was this lonely, nerdy, geeky kid who would probably be a, you know, he's a metaphor or not a metaphor, an allegory for the kids who are probably reading the comic, outcast, be made fun of. 
watch yeah. a Star Trek. Like, watch a Star Trek. Yeah, so I also say that the uh, Marvel preview stuff, it was much more like science fiction anthology magazine right. and was not much of the stuff in it was not connected to the regular Marvel universe the way. Now, there's one question I have here of a panel and it's like the second panel of it where it says he grew strong and straight like a young sapling. Is that supposed to be him in that panel or the mom? Him. So one thing I have an issue with this is in his ages that they depict him as during this thing, they don't seem to match up what they're saying. When he's 13, he doesn't look 13. Or when he's 10, he doesn't look 10 or 12. That's like, I don't know. It kind of bugs me where they say how old he's supposed to be and what he looks like because it keeps seems to jump. But that's just our thing that I think was bugging me. I see what you mean, though, because if you go from left to right, up to down, he's mm -hmm. very young. You have the close-up where he's very detailed, and he looks like he's a preteen. Yeah. And then he looks young again, mm -hmm. and then he looks almost adultish, and then he looks like he's about eight. I just don't get that. <laughs> very odd. Hi. Sorry about that. Hello. Guten Tag. So, welcome. We just barely got started talking about Star-Lord and Marvel Preview 4. Okay. An excellent, well-put-together and engrossing story. <laughs> Your sarcasms are sarcasm, and we're going to get there. Because we're at the part where he's still a young child, as we discussed, looking at his backstory pages of he keeps changing his appearance between 8 and 12. Well, you know, you've got to be versatile when you're a young would-be Star-Lord. I agree, though. I, they have an amazing setup for something completely incredible. They do. Even in the next page, he dreams of aliens fighting and being part of this whole thing. He is totally, they make this guy auspicious. Until, of course, that day he says he's in fifth grade, and I kind of go, wait, what? He looks like he was already 13. Steve Gann apparently can't draw children very well. Yeah. <laughs> or consistently. If we ignore that, we do at least get to the part where aliens suddenly just appear on Earth for no reason, which is wonderful. That happens all the time. <laughs> You know, Thanos did it. We saw that in Drax the Destroyer. Thanos just magically appears and then kills his parents. They just obviously just come to Earth like that. I guess it's a popular tourist location for aliens. Yeah, I would say so. Furthermore, yeah. these aliens apparently just show up and shoot the ground and leave. No, no, no. <laughs> they don't just shoot the ground. They land on the ground and then shoot the mom. I guess I said that way too quickly. Yes, they shoot his mom and kill her. The end. And then they leave. I've read ahead of the next issue, and so they, you know, keep this as an incident, but change the meaning of it a bit in the future. But well, they yes. change the meaning to, please tell us. Well, okay, so in the next issue, the backstory gets changed a bit, and instead of the virgin birth that we have described in the first issue, his father is a prince from another planet, and his evil uncle sends assassins to kill him, and they kill his mother, but somehow not the defenseless child. It might not make that much sense, but they kind of tried to work it in. So it's much more like, these are assassins sent to find the son of... That makes so much more sense <laughs> that I'm going to just pretend that's what I'm reading here, and then yeah, these like just make more sense. I well, was really excited to read Star-Lord, because I got this trade, and I read all of it, and the next issue is amazing. See, I can I can actually go with the setup that they've got here. I mean, you've got aliens who are randomly landing on the planet, and usually that means bad stuff, and they shoot the mom because the kid's hiding. That makes a certain amount of sense, you know, and maybe they were trying to be stealthy about it, and they realized... Kraken's teeth. Somebody saw us. Quick, <laughs> let's do something and get the Krutak out of here. It's a hit and run. I can kind of see that working, but the subsequent story kind of... Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, you know, we have young orphan Peter Quill. 
he tells the police about aliens and nobody believes him because aliens. Spacemen. In the previous panels, we see that she's clearly hit with some kind of an energy ray and killed. So then you have the police show up. Mind you, it is a sheriff of a rural town, so meh. But she's dead. It's clear it's not from like a bullet wound or anything. I mean, there's got to be some kind of burn damage or something like that. And he's saying things like, I know you couldn't have done something like this. As if there were any implication (laughs) that the 12-year-old child was going to take his mom out into the forest near, let's also state again, a giant burn spot on the ground that shows no natural origin whatsoever and kill her in a manner that does not seem possible with no weapon. Flamethrower? Same. I was say, in my mind, this uh, bumbling sheriff is the same guy from Astonishing Tales 13. It's also just after the Vietnam War, so you could always explain it as it's possible there was some sort of military testing and a missile went off or something along those lines. I suppose so, they, but again, that actually makes sense. Lie about it. Why wouldn't you investigate that? Yeah, Because you're a rural sheriff. <laughs> Somebody's dead with mysterious reasons and the kid says it was aliens? Well, guess it's nothing further to look into, but it sure as hell wasn't aliens. It's interesting that they don't really explain where he's from, but they definitely set it up as somewhere middle America. And as I believe, at this point, I'm still kind of enjoying it. Like, I'm still going with it, where I understand his pain, his everything, and this isn't the end he vows, and he's going to go, obviously, go and try to kill the aliens. So I'm like, yay, yeah, go get your revenge, Star-Lord. This is still that nice kind of clear story that you'd expect for this time period. A little ham-fisted, but... You know, this is the kind of stuff that you would expect to see around this time period. It's a great setup for an amazing revenge story that could go either turning him into a villain or turning him into a hero. And you're left questioning, if you don't know Star-Lord as we know him now, which way is this going to go? Are we seeing, you know, how the creation of some Marvel villain was done? Or are we seeing the Defender of the Galaxy? It is true. This is the sort of origin that you get a Doctor Doom out of as well. I guess I didn't think, you know, I think you're right that I think I was so into it knowing that he becomes a hero. I didn't really think of it that he could become a villain. And with that lens, I actually could appreciate it a little more. Well, and I mean, they do have the clear setup that it's not just the pain. It's also the pain coupled with his inability to cope with it. And and no, I'm directing that all into the focus of I'm going to go find these people and I'm going to get my revenge on them. Right. They've already set up that he's not fully socially developed, and he's obviously got a lot of anger inside of him already and feeling like an outcast, and then losing the only person he really connects with in this world. I took this as an 11-year-old going insane. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I can appreciate that more now. Don't think that forgives him to what's about to happen. So yeah, so then we skip from 1975 to the near future of 1987, where he's training to be an astronaut. Peter is now 27. The fact that he's training to be an astronaut, and he's the same age that I am, I definitely had to sit for a second and question my life. I would be 25. He was in 62. And it's known he's not very social. He is literally just trying to be an astronaut, and his social skills are not good. They even show these girls looking at him, or women looking at him, and he goes, yeah, on the outside, maybe he's cute, but inside, he's the coldest fish you'll meet, the side of a sardine tin. Like, he's definitely not a sociable person. But he has a pet owl. Yeah. See, this is where it starts to go a little bit off the rails. Because first of all, how did he get into the NASA training project if he's this belligerent, cold, distant individual? Willpower. Who isn't isn't even interested in the scientific aspect of it. Right. Just in the going to space aspect of it. 
he is interested in the scientific aspect. He has the star charts, the astronomy equipment. They say it's like he's here for a lab job instead of aeronautics. Well, but all of this, again, links back into that whole revenge thing. He's not looking at the star charts and astronomy equipment to explore the galaxy. He's looking for that one thing. Right. It's like the NASA psychologist should be going like, we, we should not let this guy into NASA, guys. He's yeah. A, he's a little bit loose. <laughs> He's a dropout orphan runaway who we know nothing about and doesn't have a social life. He was also a virgin birth and his mother was killed under strange circumstances. And Which, his best friend now is an owl. So, you know, guys, maybe we shouldn't let this guy into space. <laughs> but we do have a kind of weird scene where he saves some guy from a runaway centrifuge. Well, he saves Greg Harrelson, which is important to note who it is that he saves. And it's this moment where... You're reading the comic, and you're suddenly having this resolution from his childhood. Oh, he's going to be a hero. His first instinct is to save people. Exactly. Page 17 is a wonderful page of him being awesome. And if we could just skip page 18, this would be great. But page 18 brings back the, wait, is he going to be a villain? Because he then lashes out. Saves the man's life, and then lashes out at him for being stupid. I feel I should read it. It like needs to be read. Shoot, Quill, I thought it was a goner that time. You saved my ass for sure. Hey, you're right. Of course I'm all right. No thanks to you. You could have saved yourself via a brain instead of muscle between your ears. You're a hell of an astronaut, in my opinion. Why would you say that to the guy you save? If Seriously, this and of course it, it does go in there. This is when NASA should be going, this guy might not be a space astronaut person. You don't want to send this guy into the isolation of space <laughs> with other people depending on him. Well, and it seems so drastically out of character. You've got right, the guy exactly. who's trapped in the centrifuge. I mean, if you're going to be this belligerent person who really doesn't care about other people, you're just going to, you know, cross your arms and go, that guy's an idiot. You're not going to go through overly, overly dramatic heroics to save his life to tell him he's an idiot. But again, I honestly think they're setting up that is he a hero, is he a villain? Which does certainly make sense in the context we've seen so far. And really, I mean, if I had just done everything that Quill had just done to save this person's life, I might not be the most rational person in the world. I might lash out a little bit full of adrenaline and almost dying myself. I might call somebody a dumbass. I guess the one thing about him being a villain is you usually don't have, and especially at this time, a comic book all about the villain. So mm. people going into this are expecting Quill is going to be a hero. And it just, it lacks that heroic quality to it. We go, why would you be a hero? You, you know, you see, I, I, I guess the duality part of it, if we did it like that, is understandable. But I don't know if that was the point at the time. Because I recall at the time, they really didn't do too many comics about the villains, like, and their perspective. That is a fantastic point, Keenan. You're totally right. I didn't think about that at all. I was definitely looking at this from a 21st century lens. And maybe this guy was way ahead of his time. And that could be it. I could be it. Yeah, what I was thinking was we didn't really see the push for, you know, your anti-hero type situations until later in the 80s and the 90s, when you sort of had that, we need to shake things up kind of situation. And at this time period, you usually had people who were pretty much straight-laced all across the board. And also, you know what, when he does that and saves the guy and then yells at him, to me, that's not even anti-hero. Anti-hero is like taking it, you know, on the cuff, being a little mean and gruff about it, but doing the right thing. He's just a dick. If this had come off with more of a semi-jovial or maybe some biting sarcasm, yeah, you could have gone in sort of a anti-hero-ish direction, but it's quite clearly just straight-up anger. He's a very angry little boy. Which I'm at least happy about in the next page. The main part is 
they are like, yes, and our astronauts is Briggs, Caveri, and Harrelson. That's all, gentlemen. And then he, it's literally a page of him standing up at the place going, wait a minute, what do you mean that's all, sir? What about me? And I love this. You are the most proficient graduate I've ever seen technically. But personally, mister, that's another matter. Men who live together in a cramped capsule for days and weeks on end must be compatible, blah, blah, blah. And Quill, you're compatible with no one. Which at least they're like, yeah, no, seriously, Quill, get some social skills. Well, Which he then proves their point because he throws a temper tantrum. Again, it's like, okay, clearly you knew this. Why was he still in the program? Why were yeah. you wasting money on training this guy? I'm presuming that this is, you know, the future and he was paying his own way through space college oh. and now they're graduating oh. and deciding who actually gets to go to space. And so like, yeah, you can get a degree in space college. But, but uh, space college. How does a dropout orphan something or other head case end up paying for space college. Well, clearly he spent 13 years uh, that missing pages. Uh, and maybe his way, mother had an insurance policy. Ooh, yeah. And this is college coming out of 1962, when you could afford to go to college with a part-time job and a couple of scholarships. Also go. true. I have so no probably idea extrapolated that out. Okay, um, so this is where he's 27, and I'm having this moment of, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, why haven't you graduated oh. from space college yet? I want to point out, this is 1989, and they're picking the three guys to go on their third expedition to Mars. Yes. Oh, geez, you're right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 20 years after we landed on the moon, of course we're already at Mars. We totally could we're, do that. We're on our third trip to Mars, much less. And we're abandoning and, Matt Damon there. Turns out that Matt Damon plays this Harrelson guy, right? Yeah. yeah. What I would like to point out here is we go back to his fantastically appointed apartment with his astrolabe and plants and all that kind of thing. And then he throws his telescope at a giant astrological chart. Why, oh why, is a man who is intending on going to space and clearly has scientific understanding got a giant astrological chart? Just because his birth was preordained after Jesus, okay? You missed the part where we talked in the intro, where Engelhardt has a big thing about astrology and all yeah. of these dates of astrological significance. So, as far as Engelhardt is concerned, in the future, as we learn more about science, mm. we will learn the truth of astrology. Ah, okay. I had read the beginning part discussing stuff, but I didn't realize he was implying that, too. Well, that's, that's my impression, is that that's what he's sort of implying. Although, speaking of the Martian, now I've retconned that so like there's some storm on Mars that helps get him stuck there. I haven't actually seen the movie yet. I've just heard about it and a friend's read the book. So anyway, but like I've seen some other commentary where that sort of storm can't happen on Mars because it just doesn't have that much of an atmosphere. Now I'm convinced that Star-Lord using his element gun creates the thing as revenge against Harrelson. And that's the Martian. So oh, my go. God. oh my it God. It all right. up. Oh, goosh. That makes yes, sense. That does. <laughs> Lark. Star-Lord's just Larkin. <laughs> Not 100% a dick. <laughs> But well, then here we've got the classic other thing, what I'd like to call, since this is a Marvel magazine, the Tony Stark direction, which is, I, life sucks, so I'm going to pull out my entire bottle of Jim Beam, which you can clearly see on the label there. Yeah, nice product yeah. placement. Yeah, and then chug like I've never chugged before. You know, first, I'm going to start with, hey, I'm going to convince myself I'm just going to pour a glass to take the edge off. Then I'm just going to go, you know what, hell with this. Throw the glass away and just chug the bottle. And, and then I'm I love going to drunk beg my owl to tell me how much he loves me. That's my favorite part. Drunk beg my owl. <laughs> but then again, you're going back to the psychological trauma. His mother, the only person he had any connection with, is dead. 
so he has an owl and he says, you're my only friend. And you suddenly feel for him hmm. deep in that empty space where I should have a heart. I have this moment. See, I do feel for him a little bit. And I'll admit, I do feel for him a little bit. But I feel like, dude, you need to get your life together. And yeah, this sucks. But I'm at the same time going, you know, I want to see a hero here. And I'm so glad this guy's not going into space. <laughs> like, <laughs> like at the same time going like, yeah, good job not getting this guy. I don't know how he's going to become Star-Lord now. I want to see that. But good job about not choosing this guy to go into space because I wouldn't bring him in there. Agreed. I mean, he definitely is a poster child for depression at this point. And I'll say, I actually really appreciate, to me, this book bounces page to page of like, why did they do that to something good all the time? Because I love page 21, then it says jumps another five years. And no, he has that's a second not five years. That's like five months. Mm-hmm. Was it? I thought it was five years. It goes from June 1989 to November 1989. Oh, okay, so we're launching so many astronauts into space that every five months we're launching another rocket to Mars. Well, I think this is the rocket to the space station. We've got a lot of people up on that. That's a big space station if you look at it, I mean. But I was going to say, the second half of page 20 I can go with. I mean, it's the drunk talking with the owl still works with page 20, but, you know, he's the guy who's had his dream crushed. You know, this Mm -hmm. was the thing he had been driven for all of these years, and it got taken away from him. And that's a nice, clean story section here. It is. And it does kind of set up that next page. So it's, it's not all terrible but yeah it's i do find it interesting that he says you know flash gordon died a long time ago there's no starship enterprise yet except if they're on their third mission to mars <laughs> there's got to be something pretty close to the starship enterprise already well in the next page they mentioned that uh, he's taken off on one of these bulky rockets but these two smaller aero ships they designed in 1986 are making them you know. and they haven't made first contact <laughs> yet so they don't yet have an enterprise mm-hmm mm. But then they kind of hand wave, and he's given up, and nothing means anything anymore. And five months later, he's successful. And he's learned from his mistakes. He's gained, especially they said he's become an officer and a gentleman, and he's learned his, I think, I'm like, all right, in five months, you've gained some social skills. Good on you. Stop. Well, that comes into why it's like, to me, it's this vacillating, like, up and down of, I like this page, I don't. I like this page, I don't. And then it just crashed and burns, but we'll get there. Yeah, see, now on the station, all of a sudden, you know, this anger and frustration he's had since he was 9 or 8 or 12 or 11 or whatever indeterminate age he actually was, gone. Just poof. He was 11. There's an actual date. Okay. Is 204 miles enough to have a space station in orbit? I think so. Okay. Because that number seems awfully small. (laughs) I am not a physicist. On that size, I don't believe so. What I love is this is two months later. And we see a very different Quill. He's finally in space. He's reached the dream that he's had. And he's actually, I'm skipping ahead to the bottom of 22. They say he might have turned away from such a remark. And now he just smiled. He's turned around. The people who teased him about aliens, it no longer bothers him because he he made it to where he was trying to go. Exactly. It's a nice resolution for him, I think. Absolutely. It is. And then when they go to see the solar eclipse, the moon eclipses the sun, they're watching it. Incredibly, and they actually say the words, and then incredibly, another Star-Lord appears. Some guy flying in space in a cool-looking suit with a gun literally appears out of the sky. And I think he talks them through their brain, because I see in that voice inside my brain. And he says, in 14 days, when your moon moves to the opposite side of Earth and is eclipsed, one of you will be chosen to be the Star-Lord. And we have the most appropriate reaction we have seen in this comic book. 
guy wearing super 60s sci-fi headset. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> oh, just to go back, because I looked it up, low Earth orbit is an altitude between 0 to 1,240 miles. So it's at the low end of low Earth orbit. Yeah, it's not possible. <laughs> yeah, not with a space station that's obviously housing multiple people. But I will also point out that the Star-Lord that they see is not an actual Star-Lord. As the voice inside oh, the room right. says, he is but a concept, visible only in your mind's silver eye. It's kind of bizarre that whoever's organizing this, the man behind the curtain, as it were, was just going to pop up with, hey, it's clearly a guy, here's this spiffy outfit I designed, I think I'm going to pick one of you guys to be him. How's that sound? And the next part is what I appreciate literally the most out of all of it, because they decide who should they choose, and Star-Lord, I guess Peter Quill, goes, I will do it, I will be Star-Lord, and they're like, that's commendable of you, but we're going to choose the astronaut best suited for this, so let us handle that. (laughs) And then he throws a temper tantrum. Yeah, yeah, all of this calm that we had set up in the previous pages, all of this, I'm finally at peace with myself, out the window. Right, yeah. And then he throws a giant thing at the wall or some giant electric, no, at the glass window. And I love that he throws out the glass window after they don't just choose him for volunteering. And then later they think he might still be, he might still have a chance to be the guy they choose. Mm-hmm. Like well, It's like that, that like, what delusional world are you and guy? Not only that, but they ship him back to Earth. Oh, and they, of course, yeah. picked Harrelson as the guy who's going to be Star-Lord. Exactly. Yes. So the guy that he saved the life of is the person who takes his place in his revenge fantasy. And this is where the part where it really bothers me about this guy, because in my mind, I'm going, yeah, space guys, you made the right choice. I'm not going like, you should have chosen Peter. You're idiots. Why didn't you choose this guy? I'm like, no, totally. You should not have chosen that guy. That guy's crazy and should go back to Earth. Like, that's all that's going on through my mind now. It's like, all right, maybe something else will happen to you, Peter Cole, Star-Lord, but you should not be Star-Lord by any way this chosen, because if I was in any power power, I would definitely not choose you. Yeah, see, this is the point where, were this a somewhat newer comic book, what I would have expected is Harrelson to go up and become Star-Lord, and then either to have a sudden change of heart or the power of Star-Lord overwhelms him and he becomes crazy supervillain guy. And then Peter Quill, faced with actually having to deal with a real problem in the now, is the only person capable and experienced enough to confront him and defeat him, and then winds up becoming Star-Lord. This would be what I'd normally be expecting from this kind of story. Or it would have been good if they hired this guy to be the Star-Lord, and then he goes off and does it, and Peter literally goes off to Earth, does his own thing, and then becomes his own, quote, Star-Lord, and that's the real Star-Lord. Like, like he creates another Star-Lord to feel like he has... Hold on, I need to rethink this thought. <laughs> or, or we could have, roll with it. We could also have the Harrelson guy do his Star-Lord thing, confront something that's just too much for him. He gets thrown back onto Earth, he's nearly about to die, passes the mantle to Quill, because he knows Quill's the only other person skilled enough to be able to do this, Quill goes up, becomes Star-Lord, and defeats the evil. I agree with Keenan. I want a crazy Quill who creates another Star-Lord on Earth and starts becoming a vigilante for whatever reason, and then people don't know what's going on in space, so they believe that the Quill on Earth Star-Lord is the real (laughs) Star-Lord. He actually doesn't fly in space, he flies around Earth on like a jetpack, because he's like, I'm Star-Lord. Yeah, I could see that too. I just gotta say right now, I feel like, in our headcanon, all of us talking right now, if you haven't read this comic, find a way to read it, 
because everything we're saying now is so much better than what actually happens in the comic book. <laughs> Can we stop the podcast here and just pursue these headcanons as if they are what happens? <laughs> I would say and agree, like, a listener audience, what you're hearing right now is ten times better. And we're all saying this because it literally, we all know, is ten times better than what actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, to explain what actually happens. I mean, I'm just laughing too much right now. So, listeners, if you, you want to have a happy ending, stop right here, and that was what happened. We flipped the page, and so, you know, he likes it. They took him back to Earth, and now we have this, if he was escaping from a planet of, you know, evil minions of Zardog, like a Flash Gordon sort of thing, this would be a great sequence. But since he's just basically attacking and shooting random guards on Earth who are just doing their job and stealing a spaceship so he can fly back to the space station, he was just on not long ago. Which means if he hadn't thrown a temper tantrum and just waited and then, you know, ambushed the ceremony and said, no, take me, I should be Star-Lord, that'd be one thing. But he shoots a bunch of people and yes. steals a spaceship and comes to the ceremony and shoots more people. Yeah, as Larry happens, he literally goes absolutely crazy, starts shooting other humans, stealing a spaceship, flying back to the place where they kicked him off, and then when he's in the space station, he starts shooting and killing even more people. This is part of the reason why I had that thought, that maybe they were trying to set him up to be a villain. Maybe, but at this point I'm just going like, alright, there is no way you can be (laughs) Star-Lord. Well see, and you've got these setups here, where he's shooting all the people, and as he's approaching the guy who's going to become Star-Lord, you know, the guy's saying, what will you find out there, Greg? Something to bring about peace on Earth, I hope, Senator. We've waited a long time for contact with another planet. And then coked up Flash Gordon comes running in. <laughs> well, maybe he's got another bottle of Jim Beam in his yeah. trash apartment. It just makes it so much worse. Like, there's this guy being like, I'm going to go on a mission for peace and bring peace. And then who's supposed to be the hero comes in and ambushes them all with a gun. Yes, and shoots them. Meanwhile, saying, by the way, he is clearly saying it's a revenge fantasy because he says, this is fantasy come true. This is my night. And I'm going, what side of sick, dark man are you that (laughs) killing a bunch of humans, stealing a spaceship and going up to Earth is your fantasy? And why on Earth do we want you to be a hero in any way, shape or form? Well, and here's the other bizarre turnaround. So he rescues this guy way back when from the Mm -hmm. centrifuge. There's little to no interaction between them anywhere else in the comic book. Then, all of a sudden, he's like, now look, Pete, why don't you do the whole calm down the crazy guy with gun thing? And his reaction is, so now it's Pete, huh? For the first time ever, it's Pete. What is going on here? Has this guy been acting like he's a nothing? Nothing has been going on, and he's acting like this guy who's going to be elected to be the Star-Lord has been a bully or something. Yeah, no, you're right. They definitely set him up to be this meathead jock kid from high school, and Pete is the nerdy D&D playing kid who just really misses his mommy. But Except he's not a bad jock kid. They don't mention that ever. He doesn't do anything really like, wow, you're a dick. I mean, there's the mention of a hate on between the two of them, because, you know, he rescues the one guy and then is a complete dick to him, so I understand why they're not particularly fond of each other. And he says you have too much muscle in your head. And then not only does he shoot all of these people, he misses Harrelson with a laser blast. So then he run up, runs up to him and gun butts him. And actually, like he says, you lousy hypocrite. And it's like, when he says you lousy hypocrite, all I could think of is like, you just stole a spaceship and killed a lot of people and did all this. Who's being hypocritical here, Peter Quill? Like, yeah. really, which of you is being hypocritical here? <laughs> it's just bad writing. Horrible writing. We get, again get the one sane quote here. He's totally mad. Yes. 
<laughs> like literally there i'm like this whole time i'm just going yeah really this should happen they should just be killing peter quill this guy should never be star lord <laughs> he just shot a whole bunch of people randomly for no other reason is running around screaming he's got a gun he's clearly a murderer we should stop him and then poof he's gone well for some reason there's never any discussion of where you need to be or what you need to be holding or anything like that. He's just cornered in the command center somewhere and poof, he's gone. I took it as a, a deus ex machina moment where the being who is asking for a Star-Lord pulled Quill out of the space station. Which we still don't necessarily know why they would pull Peter Quill out. Because if I'm some giant, far-thinking, advanced being, I would say, you know who I'm not going to pull? That guy. The mass murderer with a gun? <laughs> so, my only thought is that Englehart's goal is to show that Peter Quill was destined for this because of the place of his birth. You know, he was that virgin birth in a specific celestial alignment. So he is destined to become Star-Lord. So it doesn't actually matter if he's worthy or not. He is destined, and this is his destiny. And That's the only human. thing I can see. And evil human like, being in his way. Yeah, and which doesn't make any sense, because if he was really destined, then the guy would have just plucked him off the earth anyways. Right. He didn't need yeah. to actually go anywhere. So, I, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's the best I can reach for. Of course, to add to this whole thing of craziness, there's the whole lasers travel at the speed of light, but he just vanished. And then somebody else is like, he stole the secret of the ages, stole it from the rest of mankind. And then the response we get from the leader guy is, Personally, I thought all along this was a damn Chinese trick. Oh, communist China. Because, you know, what? obviously, at this point, obviously, China also has to have a space station because we're still in the Cold War. Because mm -hmm. if not, then, like, the Chinese obviously have something so powerful that it's better than the giant space station that the, the Americans have. Well, and furthermore, the Chinese not only have a space station, but have the ability to communicate with other people's minds and they utilize it to make them think that they can pass out over one of their most prominent astronauts to be some kind of interstellar vigilante guy for the lulls? <laughs> I will say one thing as I just thought of this. If we take this all canon, knowing that Peter Quill's father is... Oh, what's Chase his name? On. Yeah, Chase On. At least it makes sense, because Chase On's equally as crazy as this Peter Quill is. If we take that, that this is just his father coming out as him, then I can actually understand this a little more, because I've read enough of Chase On to know, yeah, this sounds like that kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little more political, but you know what? He's young. Now we move on to Peter Quill floating around in space without the benefit of protective garb, diving headlong into the sun. Because now he's a Star-Lord. Well, he's not dead at the very least, which is pretty <laughs> impressive. And he sees a golden light, which... It's called the sun. And then they take him to the cool, mysterious planet where there is the giant man sitting in the chair. The giant man sitting in the chair overseeing what appears to be an entire civilization. Yes. Because there are actual little people out there. So we're wondering... So are there people? Why? Yeah, there's little yeah, yeah. people just wandering all around the campus and everything. They're yeah. not finally... Oh, detailed. yeah. Okay. There's Zeus on this gigantic throne overseeing Futureland, and, and he, nobody... I actually just love the line where he says, you have been selected by your world to become Star-Lord, Peter Jason Quill. And I started to burst out laughing when I saw that line. Because I'm going, <laughs> yes, those are definitely, this man was selected to become this position. Totally. Because, you know, part of the prerequisites of getting this position of being a 
interstellar hero type character is throwing lots of temper tantrums and shooting a bunch of people and demanding that you get to be this thing. The implication, rarely is this opportunity offered, more rarely still does the opportunity arise. So there have been previous Star-Lords? Probably, in different planets, I guess, like different organi- different space people. Maybe there was a Shi'ar Star-Lord and a Kree Star-Lord. <laughs> what I would get is, he's like, you must be held in high regard by your people. So wait, like, he knows all sorts of stuff about Peter Quill. I thought about that. And I'm reading it in a different way, where, like, it's literally done in absolute sarcasm. Yes. Where it's like, you have been selected by a world to become a Star-Lord, Peter Quill. Rarely is this opportunity more rarely still does the opportunity arise. You must be held in high regard by your people. Like, he's just literally insulting the hell out of them. Well, and furthermore, Peter Quill's first response is not, where am I? What's going on here? What does it mean to be a Star-Lord? It's, you know my middle name! No one knows my middle name! Which we should mention is Peter Jason Quill. Is in your birth records. Likely everyone at NASA knows your middle name. This is the linchpin of, oh god, clearly this gentleman is nigh on omniscient because he knows my middle name. But Quill is also incredibly socially awkward. Maybe that's just how he felt one would respond in this situation. And it's still at the point where I'm just going, don't make him Star-Lord. Just don't make this guy Star-Lord. He should not be Star-Lord. <laughs> Please just strike him down. Yes! <laughs> Go strike him down and be like, Harrison, you are Star-Lord. That first guy, he was a mistake. But then, I mean, he kind of works with your earlier sarcastic responses because right, yes. he follows up with the, perhaps I'm not what I seem, and you, and then Peter Quill says, I wasn't the one chosen. So clearly he was aware of everything that went on. Yes, of course. This whole part, I'll say, it still goes on in this, like, I can't even describe what I'm trying to say here, where it's just like, it's like they're going through the motions of the Star-Lord because this guy feels they have to. And it's like, they didn't really want this guy, but he's like, damn it, you came. It's like your Star-Lord participation badge. It's like, you're the one in reach of my teleporter beam, or what (laughs) have you. So, I guess you get it. Yeah. In, in this whole discussion, Peter's like, I don't know anymore. This isn't what I expected. If I expected anything at all, except some way, final way out of my problems. All right, I'm a fraud, maybe a madman, and maybe a murderer. What are you going to do to me? Maybe. I shall make you a Star-Lord. <laughs> so, the way I chose to look at this, <laughs> because I always want to try and find it. <laughs> This omnipotent being says that he controls the solar system, he controls the sun. Everything so far in Peter's life has been tied to some sort of astrological event. And if we're talking about a virgin birth, I don't want to say preordained, but maybe the being whose name I don't think we ever get is questioning Peter, showing him where he went wrong, showing him the follies. That's why he admits, oh yeah, I am a fraud, I am a madman, I am a murderer. And he says, close enough. I'll give you what you should get, and then you should be okay from here. That's a lot of faith to put into a madman, <laughs> madman murderer, and fraud. I also like that he says, I'm a fraud, maybe a madman, and maybe a murderer. And I'm After going like, shoots all you have, yeah, it's like, if you have to say maybe, I think you're doing this wrong guy. <laughs> I suppose the fraud is that he was the chosen one for being the Star-Lord, because that's about the only fraudulent thing he's done. And right. that's the one that he cops to immediately. Well, like, okay, I'm a fraud. Maybe crazy. Maybe I killed a few people. <laughs> Definitely a fraud. For me, it's when he talks about, I have to have justice for my mom, my mother, I swore an oath. An oath of justice? And he says, all right, I'm a fraud. Meaning he's realized that it's not an oath of justice anymore. It's just right. vengeance and 
anger at this point. And then at the end of the page, again, that preordained moment, as you did nine months before your birth, when he's talking about the costume came out of nowhere. And he says, do not fear for your reason, Peter. It is too late for that. Which kind of makes me going to the idea where he's like, all right, we had to have chosen someone to be Star-Lord. It's you. You're the guy here. Just just roll with it. <laughs> like, too late for fear reason. You're here. The costume's with you. Go to it. <laughs> I don't know, that's how I view it, or at least it, it gives me more happiness if I do. <laughs> like, this old man in the chair is like, damn it, it's got to be someone, and you're here. Really wish it wasn't, but we just got to go through these motions, and you're the Star-Lord. Cosmic Etiquette says that I must... Yeah. <laughs> you showed up, that's all we really need here. Yeah, that's kind of like, no, you got it exactly right, Jeff. That is exactly it. It is, you showed up, we needed someone, <sighs> you're it. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm sure that's how Ant May got the power cosmic. So, so yeah. The next page, he gets to explore his new powers. He can fly. He has a gun that shoots the four elements. Which and is incredible. Now, yeah. Now that I know the more astrological origin of Star Lord, the element gun makes a bit more sense than it does air, fire, and water. It's a pretty cool gun, though. I want one. See, I understand the associations. I don't understand how this is very effective as a weapon. <laughs> I mean, the fire, sure. The water, uh, the air, which apparently disintegrates trees. It's the breath of life. Yeah, it's the breath of life, which kills things. And then finally, literally shooting rocks. The out rock of your shooting is awesome. <laughs> and again, the comment about how Star-Lord is the one who created the storm on Mars that led to uh, What's-His-Face <laughs> being left up there. It makes total sense now. Perfect headcanon. Yeah, Ben Headcanon in The Martian. Is his name actually Harrelson in it? Probably not. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Damn, that would have been so much better. Oh, Watney. It's Watney. Oh, okay. Dang. They only say it like 50 times. So I love Star-Lord's costume. Yes. And my first thought was Nova. Yes. Yeah, he does have a Nova look to it. And I don't know if it's just because in cosmic stuff, everybody has the same look. That's just, you know, that's just the uniform. Definitely had this moment of, am I reading the origin of Star-Lord or of Nova here? <laughs> well, to be fair, it might be one of those things where it's a little bit of both. True. Because it could very well be that they started off with Star-Lord, his costume went somewhere else, and then they were like, hey, let's go with this Nova guy. I was actually checking to see when he popped up originally. It doesn't Nova first, oh, in 1976 is the first Nova one. And so, it's again, Marv Wolfman. Well, that makes sense then. Yeah, so that probably they, uh, Utilize a similar costume design. No. He no? first appeared in a fanzine, Super Adventures, in 1966. Oh, well then. And <clears> when are we looking at Star-Lord here? It was 75. Oh, wow. So maybe Star-Lord stole his costume from mm -hmm. Nova. Well, it's unlikely, because like, that was a fanzine that Mark Wolfman and Lynn Wine put together. I don't know how likely it is. Although maybe because, of, you know, Wolfman was the editor at this point, right? He was. So, who knows? Certainly, they've both got a bit of that Flash Gordon vibe to them. Absolutely. Very space it's opera. Mostly, it's mostly the helmet with the star centerpiece in it. Right. Because that's very much like Nova's helmet. We've got the weapon is invincible, one weakness is working your will with you, which I get a very Green Lantern vibe off of. With the whole, you know, I can control the four elements with this gun, it's completely invincible, and it does what I want it to do. And the more gumption I put into it, the more powerful it becomes. 
And then, of course, we get back to the whole revenge thing, you know. Right. And we can almost, like, I'm okay. It really goes into two pages of him literally just getting teleported to where the exact spaceship that killed his mother was, and then shooting it down and killing the people. Which I would also like to point out are all reptoids. Yes. And it truly is a revenge fantasy, because he even says at the end, I've played it in my dreams a million times over. And the whole time I'm going, you're Star-Lord now, and you're still crazy. He's destroying everything that was tying him to his past life so that he can fully embody the Star-Lord. Yeah, These are wise I tell myself. Oh, <laughs> well, they are backed up by the conversations he has, so it's not completely headcanon. So the last few panels, as we get to the end, and so you have fulfilled your vow, Peter Quill. What happened? How did I get back here? Unless I never left at all. Be that as it may, you experience your vengeance, and now you are free of your past life, free to form a new life, if you wish. I, I wish. Come, Star-Lord, and leave your madness behind and walk with me. So it's possible that he didn't actually go and murder the aliens. He just got right. to live through his experience of killing aliens. Or maybe he did. Who knows? Kind of fuzzy. He got to resolve his trauma, which is amazing, and now he's able to grow and become a different human being. Again, I'm telling you, this is like a back and forth between, is he a hero? Is he a villain? Is he a hero? Is he a villain? Oh, it's resolved through cosmic whatever from this Zeus guy. Now he can become a hero and save the galaxy. You see, I can see that, but I don't see villain as much. I see it's, you can either be Peter Quill, resolve yourself and be the good guy, or Peter Quill, the insane raving lunatic. Like... That's not villain. It's like you can either be Peter Quill, the crazy psychopath, or Peter Quill, the hero. A lot of villains are crazy psychopaths. I mean, look at Doom. I, that's my first thought too. Is Doom? But Doom is not crazy. Doom is Doom has logic and sense to him. It's weird no. sense, but he's he's at least not like just he doesn't he's respected in some way. At least by his own people, he's respected. Or more like feared. It's. This yeah, guy's it's... not feared or respected. This guy's just crazy. Well, yes, but we're also talking about the man who, whether or not this has been completely retconned or not, who forged a giant metal mask in order to cover up a hairline scar that he got from an experiment, and then instead of just waiting for it to cool, immediately slapped it onto his face, further scarring him. That's quite logical. That makes because he was ever so slightly imperfect, he was going to make himself horribly imperfect to have this giant metal face. Another thing that I noticed here, it's cool. It's my head cannon. You're just going <laughs> to let me have it. Oh, I lie to myself. It's how I live. If you think about this and then think about reading Thanos's origin and how there's some similarities, not a lot. You can't say that they started from the same seed and grew into two different things. But between the two of them, you kind of get this sense of how things could have been and the way things ended up. And you feel bad for Thanos and his haste and his need for vengeance and you realize that Quill might have been given an extra hand and now he's become what Thanos could have been as a titan. If Thanos' father had just embraced the madness and said, oh, go ahead and have a rich binge fantasy uh, <laughs> and then we'll move on and make you a Star-Lord, then maybe things would have been better. Exactly. But then we wouldn't have some of the best stories ever told in the Marvel Universe. He would have had to have let Thanos live out his <laughs> fantasy of romancing and I guess getting laid with death. Yeah, okay. I don't think that works that well. Yeah, I I think that would have broken some comics code there. Maybe. I think what bothers me most by the end of this, and that I like the kind of least, is I'm used to, and we're all used to, a version of Peter Quill that is at least in his way a hero. And he acts very much a hero. And as this thing ends, 
this person you watched throughout, maybe he will change because he's finished his revenge fantasy. But at the end, knowing that there's going to be more of him, if we're comparing this, like, you know, when I see the Drax, the original Drax comic that we read, the whole Drax thing with Captain Marvel, that Drax is, is always who Drax is, even to this day. Like, there's this Drax, they've kept that, that essence of Drax in him that whole time. What essence do we get out of Peter Quill that he kept that we want them to keep out of this? Well, Drax stays Drax except for a brief period in the 80s. It does yo-yo a lot. Because, I mean, you get resolution to his revenge, but you don't get sort of that moral questioning from the revenge. You don't Mm -hmm. get a reflection, was this revenge worth it? You know, should I be seeking revenge? Isn't there something greater now? That kind of stuff that would normally lead you to go, oh, okay, he's finally actually grown up enough that he can go on and assume this mantle of responsibility. It's like you've got an angry 25-year-old and you throw him into a laser tag arena and he shoots everyone and you hope that gets all of his grumpy 13-year-old out of him so that he can go on and become an actual adult. It seems very short-sighted and not really well thought out. Yeah, so from here we get a cool uniform and a neat gun. And I don't think we get the essence of Star-Lord until his next appearance where Claremont gets to write him. And And I'm looking forward to that. And the reason I'm saying that is the next thing we're going to talk about is Rocky Raccoon or the origin of Rocket, which you can actually do quickly because it's really only like five pages. But even in those five pages, that is straight up the essence of Rocky Raccoon to this day. Straight up, that is exactly who Rocky Raccoon is all this time later. And I appreciate that. And that's actually what I didn't like about this because if we know who Star-Lord is now, they definitely said, like, all right, this was really badly written. We're just going to keep his gun in cape, and we'll make him better. <laughs> He's definitely nowhere near the Star-Lord that we come to know and love. For me, I, and I know I'm, I'm still talking about my own headcanons here, I loved this. When we first started this, I thought it was going to be some weird Orson Scott card, you know, this angry, hyper genius who just isn't understood and goes on to save the world kind of thing. And I loved that there was some darkness and some depth to it that we don't really get in comics from this era. It's not fluffy. It's not flashy. It's not an LSD trip. It's this back and forth, this humanity, him having really natural reactions to things. I was, I mean, he's nuts and he's crazy, but I was rooting for him. I honestly was hoping that he would find himself, whether it was to be evil or good, he would find it somewhere in there. And I was in it the entire time. It's badly written, but I loved it. Yeah, and I can certainly see the direction you're coming from. Had they played with that, is he going to be a villain, is he going to be a hero thing more, and more directly implemented that, then yeah, you could have had a much more robust story and had the transformation into Star-Lord be sort of the linchpin for which direction he was going. When they good, solid, not only a motivation, but you've got a good, solid foundation for that character. You know, somebody who's skirted the dark side, as it were, if I may bring out my Star Wars fandom. Exactly. When they do a Peter Quill prequel, because they will in the MCU, I hope it's like this. And we see him as this rebellious space pirate, you know, wreaking havoc and killing people and living a life of this instinct to be good and to save people, but also this anger and revenge from being, you know, I think in the MCU, he's abducted when his mom (laughs) dies, which is terrifying. I want them to redo this story with better writing. And I would say the same thing as, as we talked about it. Throughout the pages, the up and down, I was actually saying was pretty good. It just loses me at that point where he just starts turning on humans and kind of shooting them all. 
don't know. I think that took it one step too far. And maybe that was the writing. I would have appreciated it more if it kind of took a little bit of different direction. If our headcanon ways we were talking about it kind of took over at that point and it changed to why he was chosen to be Star-Lord. Like mm-hmm. to me, there only needs to be a reason why he's chosen to be something. And maybe it is because he's crazy. Then say that. Or I just didn't feel there was a reason why this guy was chosen by the end. Like, yes, it's a good story of this guy going through all this stuff. And it's a great story of him. But if he's chosen to be a Star-Lord, I'm going, by all my checklists of anybody's things that the reason you're chosen to be Star-Lord, it really seems like the reason is you're the guy that was there. That's the only part of it I didn't go with. And I am with you. Dark brooding past, dealing with it, totally a great thing. It is that specific part right there that really threw it off for me. And I agree with you. I think that is where things went totally awry. And I think kind of the implication, digging into the writing itself, was that Peter Quill was the best choice because he was a driven individual. He was focused. He was going to accomplish his task. It had directed his entire life. It had taken him to being the best he could possibly be. But he couldn't let go of the parts of it that were holding him back. And I think that was kind of the intention behind it. But the writing really didn't let that come through. And if his altercation with people on Earth was more of them obviously providing a roadblock and we seeing his need to be Star-Lord, not just because of his revenge, but because it is the epitome of everything he's been seeking and everything he's been driving for, then I think it would have come across much clearer and much smoother. And we wouldn't have that sort of janky, weird, madman thing going on there so much. I think you're right. I think it's somebody had an amazing concept and it was put into the wrong hands. It's much like Star Wars, your beloved fandom. <laughs> I think at this point, we've done a really good job talking about Star-Lord. Moving on to Marvel Preview 7. This has the continuation of some star saga about some guy named Wayfinder who we don't care about at all. Exactly. Any readers of it just skip the page like 53. It's Ivanhoe in space. Now go to page 53. It's Ivanhoe in space with 10,000-year-old wise and jive-talking black guy. Don't forget that, because we've got to have that subtle racism. Wait, Power Man is in this? I know! (laughs) I do want to comment that this is kind of more of a John Carter Mars-feeling space opera, because his spaceship is like a sail barge with an open top. And he's got his Roman-looking robot pilot. Yeah, we, we, like I said, this is part two of a story that never got finished because no one cared about Wayfarer. And I, it's cool, and it's fun to read, but it's not anything to do with the Guardians, and it doesn't really matter. Right. No. Uh, I do like, just as after he lands and he's about to go off, his robot Stuzman's like, may I advise caution, my lord? He's like, you speak to a son of the royal house of Ithacon, robot? That is why I prompted my advice, my lord. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is not the brightest one in the box. No, which is why I don't understand why in the previous story they pinned all of their hopes on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> his uh, entire planet gets decimated, his wise mentor gets killed, he's the last guy, and really? It's kind again. of very similar to the whole Star-Lord thing. It's like, why did we pick this guy? Well, and it was in the same issue as Marvel Preview 4. But going to it, he got the big thing you need to know is this guy, Wayfarer, runs around in a sword and armor and a cape. And he lands on a crazy planet of murder trees, like literally trees that eat people and stuff. Yeah, this is definitely a D&D villain here. D&D tree villain monster with tentacle tree. Yeah, it's totally that. 
And then, as he is stuck in this thing, it says, he basically is going there, and then something shoots at the tree and saves him from it. Victor, you batter a poor defenseless tree, merely attempting to defend its watering rights, and you conclude that that makes you a conqueror. The voice again. The same that tried to warn me from drinking the water. So the mysterious voice. And then it comes into the best picture ever of a raccoon smoking a cigar with what looks like battle armor. It's got that centurion look to it as yeah. well. So he's got that old Roman armor with a holster right across the front of his chest. Yes, and, and I bloody start. well can't determine why I bothered. That old tree used to be obtained fish for me. And if you don't mind my saying, you don't look like much of a replacement old bean. And suddenly I'm like, that's Rocky Raccoon. That's Rocket right there. Except for a little bit of more British. Voice changes. He's a crazy raccoon with a giant gun smoking a cigar. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I mean, his dialogue is just amazing. Allow me to caution you against your use of pejoratives, old man. Animal I may be, but if you claim to be an example of the top of the evolutionary ladder, life as you know it may be up for grabs. Like, he's just witty as all hell. I love this little raccoon. Jolly good, old bean. I wonder if they did the British thing so that he would sound even more prim and educated. You know, this pinnacle of finesse, which if you've only ever seen the movie, Rocket Raccoon is definitely not. <laughs> He's well, a member of the A-team in the movie. But he still has that because he goes, still a man may be made. Let me return your sword to you. I'll let you wipe the sap off. He's like literally still a jerk. I love it. <laughs> yes. No, he's so, the same character, but they've right. given him this vernacular to make him seem even... They're trying to separate him as much as possible from being just a genetically altered raccoon. Yes. So I wanted to say, this is written by Bill Mantlow, who is the one who goes on to write the 80s Rocket Raccoon series, and it looks like illustrated by Keith Giffen. But yeah, so this is 76, we get those little clips of Rocket Raccoon, and then it'll be another decade before he gets his own series in a completely different context. Though I feel as I've been listening to Rachel Nozick's Made the X-Men, another great podcast for to listen to. Bill Menlo is a great writer, one to remember to know about. And Oh yeah, the, the Rocket miniseries is amazing. Right. Yeah, I can't wait to get to that. If I learned anything from reading this few pages with Rocky Raccoon, not Rocket, by the way, if you haven't read it yet, if he's Rocky Raccoon here, it's that I desperately want him to call Groot Old Bean. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I should mention, I have the complete Rocket, the Raccoon, and Groot trade, and I'm happy that they did include this, even though it's not at all in continuity with the rest of Rocky, because here he's on Witch World, some weird planet, and then his next appearance, he's from Half World, which is a crazy place with toys. But we'll get to that, although much, much later, because we've got some time between now and the 80s. I'd also like to point out that they've got Sir Ram here, which, as I recall from reading Warlock... Isn't he the same character that the High Evolutionary has kicking around? I don't know. Because he, he looks like he has a fairly similar outfit and fairly similar look to him. The sassy robot lord? No, the, the, he actually has a goat man, as I recall, in one of the warlock. Yeah, when they meet this druid woman at the very end, they've got three companions that are like a cat, a ram, and uh, something else. Oh, I skipped ahead. And yeah, you, you jumped ahead. Right. You missed like the best page of all pages. Are we talking about the Plagosaur? Of course we were talking about the Plagosaur kit. I cheered. Would you like to do the honors of why the Plagosaur page is the best page there is in, like, to me, one of my favorite pages in comic book history? You know, we probably, I don't know. Why don't you tell me why it's your favorite? I've talked a lot. <laughs> so the giant creature that attacks them is the Plagosaur. It attacks them because the stupid prince guy is plucking the wrong flowers. 
He's plucking boondoggles, which are actually, it says, dune boggles. The air of the flowers you are, in fact, plucking. And why any pup knows that the dune boggles are guarded by the plagosaur, which I believe it looks like it's made out of magma with volcanoes bursting out of it in a giant, crazy, like, face that looks like it's out of Transformers creature. And I love that this amazing beast that, I mean, looks like a D&D enemy, like an <laughs> totally. ultimate D&D enemy, with this incredible name, the Plagosaur. I can't get over that. Its sole purpose in life is to guard these amazing exotic <laughs> flowers. Which they don't ever suggest are for any particular purpose. No. You know, it's not like, oh, their salve is, is fantastic for healing organic people, or, you know, they're the most delightful delicacy or something. Nope. Just giant monster because you mm-hmm. plucked a rose. And I love that you don't know why this weird hero person is plucking the rose. He just is. Maybe they have some sort of, they call to you in some way. They're like flower sirens of some type. (laughs) And this preceded by, of course, why I love, like, the next few panels are just the most witty lines. Like, why didn't you warn me? I say, old man, I'm not an information dispensary. We should look before one plucks, as it were. And like, Rocky's just like, why on earth did you pluck these flowers without ever telling anything? I just love Rocky. He's just so good. This is my favorite page that we read out of both comics. This is my oh, yes. favorite page. Actually, to me, the next page is my favorite, but I'll give this one as a close second. Okay. No, because I love the next page where it goes, Blast you, Raccoon. Blast you. Not me, old man. It. You must back it. Blast it. Like so. And then he just shoots a giant laser cannon at the thing. And suddenly I'm like, and still to this day, that is straight up who Rocky Raccoon is. Just Raccoon with gigantic laser gun. And he just pulls it out of nowhere. Like, I don't even know where he's holding this gigantic gun. Hammer space. There you go. All munitions <laughs> experts have hammer space. <laughs> Furthermore, once the Wayfarer has used his blade's sonic charge to explode the Plagosaur. Is he He-Man? I don't know. Okay, sorry. I fully expect a power of Grayskull. Rocky Raccoon's response, first off, is, Jolly good show, old bean. Perhaps there's more to you than I first surmised. Well, here's dinner. Yes. Because apparently this giant volcanic monster is delectable eating. And then the previous laser pistol that he had pulled out of nowhere, we see in the top panel after he's decided he's going to dig in as well, chucking it all over his shoulder, as if it's like, okay, I'm done with that. It's every moment, Rocket Raccoon. It's just such a great character and the way they do it. I did a little research, and apparently I was wrong. This is not the last appearance of the Wayfinder. He actually gets like a 58-issue series. Whoa! Really? (laughs) Well, so apparently he's been called Time Traveler, and he's the star of Micronauts, which runs mm-hmm. from 79. He's through. a Micronauts star? I don't know. After listening to other podcasts, I really need to read this Micronauts series, because it's apparently really good. So I'm actually interested now. Well, it's not in Marvel Unlimited, so I don't know. But yes, he's in Micronauts. I guess not all of the issues, but yeah. 1 through hmm. 12, and then 21 through... That is weird. He's a character. He went on and did something. Well, they they certainly liked pulling random people out of previous stories and throwing them into other books. So, Which is why Marvel has universes. So moving on, if that's okay. <laughs> that is okay. Okay. I was immediately intrigued by the appearance of this, I don't know, blinded prophet maybe? Kirk? It's supposed to be Kirke, like Circe from uh, the Odyssey. Ah, there huh. you go. Because the original Greek way of saying Circe is Kyrke. So that is like literally supposed to be the witch from the Odyssey. Okay. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. 
Yeah, I was much more interested in seeing her story than. I want to see her doing. Not well, she's a bit of a Power Rangers villain, but I I want to see her doing stuff. She's cool. And then for some reason, I'm not really quite sure she attacks them or they attack him. I can't tell really who starts this fight. What's um, happening is that they've killed the Plegosaur. She wants the Plegosaur for its meat because I'm guess so. guessing it's it's the shiznit on which world. Yeah. And so she sends her knights off to go get it, and of course they're defending their food, and then she just blasts them out of oblivion. I say, the boy shows pluck. <laughs> and the one I actually think I like is, I don't understand this, or maybe there is, there is the goat guy, and then there's the guy in the back in armor, but they're fighting these guys, and then, like, Rocket just does a, you know, hammer fist strike, or uses the sword hilt to kill a boar, but maybe that's actually the guy there, I can't tell. There was a badger-looking type, and when she announces herself, next to her, there's it could be a badger. Oh, oh yeah, so there's right. actually a little badger down. down by her foot, so that's yeah. probably Okay. Yeah, the reason I was uh, looking at comic database is to see if any of these characters got tagged anywhere else, and they don't, so they only oh. have the tag for Mr. Wayfinder guy and Rocket. So then Sir Ram isn't the one that I'm thinking of then, that just had another random goat guy working with a high evolutionary. I mean, it could have been inspired by, who knows. But he's dead now, so... (laughs) Yeah. And then we skip the last page, and it ends in them kind of stuck on the ground, and Raccoon uh, Rocky saying, quite a sticky wicket, eh, Junior? Because they lost. Which, (laughs) is this the last of these ones, and they just don't end this? Or are there more of this? No, this is the last of this saga in Marvel Preview, and this guy makes some sort of appearance in Micronauts number one. I don't know how much of a cunt, if it continues from this or not, or if it's just a retelling of his origin, or who knows what. And unfortunately, it looks like that's not on Unlimited that I can see. So that's an exploration for someone else's podcast, I think. Someone with more funds and knowledge than us. So, everybody? (laughs) Yes. Well, but after this, I think we have to talk about this. I would say this is seriously... Just this great comic where it's in the way Passa thinks that the origin of a character, and they've not really changed Rocket that much from this. Like, yeah, his accent has changed, but the really, what makes a character a character, that is straight up who Rocket Raccoon is, and they do such a great job of him in it. And I actually really love that because so many times where we watch these new modern comics, it's like they feels like the characters have been so drastically changed from where they were. And this is the exact same Rocket Raccoon from the beginning to the end, and it's wonderful to see. Yeah, and I mean, we already saw that with Star-Lord. I mean, he's gone through two or three renovations at least. And he's not even, I mean, he's a moderately important character in the Marvel Universe, but he's not one of their major heavy hitters. And they still retconned him a couple of times. Actually, as it is, you know, since I've read through all of the Star-Lord up to before Annihilation, he is not in the Marvel Universe proper until... They cross him over in Annihilation in like 2004 or whatever that is. Oh. Uh, 2006. So. Yeah, he's kind of in his own continuity. And then they're like, oh, okay, we'll bring him back. I mean, he's awesome in his own little continuity. But yeah, that's why he's not particularly major because he wasn't in any crossovers. He's not in Infinity Gauntlet or Infinity War or any of those, you know, big major cosmic crossovers mm-hmm. until you get to Annihilation. Then he's it's awesome just- in Annihilation. <laughs> so then when does his father become known as Ch- uh, Chason? Is that, like, way later on? So we'll we'll see Jason in the next issue with oh, Chris okay. Claremont. So that's part of his backstory. And then, yeah, I'm actually, I've been reading through, so trying to find where Jason turns into the evil tyrant that is in the modern continuity, because I haven't actually found really the first reappearance of him yet. 
So you're saying that you're not totally sure when this crazy person's father decided to destroy Earth, but you know it eventually happens. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I've read like the last five years or so of Guardians, and I've read the Guardians, the 2008 Guardians. I'm just kind of fuzzy on where, where they actually brought Jason back once they put Star-Lord into the main continuity, if that makes sense. It does. Although there is Inhuman series that Jason appears in. Like, it was tagged as an appearance of Star-Lord, but it's really, like, an appearance of Jason, and then there's kind of this weird panel of, like, possible futures that show that Star-Lord could have. It's weird. They haven't quite connected the continuities at that point, or decided how they're connected. So at this point, is there any more we want to talk about? Or, I mean, that seems like a good way to wrap up these two characters. Yeah, Rocket is amazing. Star-Lord is not yet amazing, but he will be. Then there we go. I think is your podcast next going to Warlock again? Or is Warlock done? As we've learned from the endless Infinity Conflicts and reboots, Warlock is never done. Thank Thanos. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, we're going to record an episode that covers... Warlock 12 through 14, which doesn't actually cover any other Guardians in it, but we've decided that Warlock is enough of a Guardian since he's in the first 24 issues or so of the 2008 Guardians. He's a very important part of the first 28 issues. Yes, he's a very important part, and also he's also pretty crucial in that a lot of the issues that we're going to be reading are in the future are the Infinity Gauntlet, Warlock and the Infinity Watch, Infinity Crusade, all that. So Drax and Gamora and, and Warlock hang out together a lot in the 90s. And it's beautiful. It is pretty awesome. And he really is. I mean, in continuity of Marvel and everything, especially in space, Adam Warlock is like one of the most important things. He does seem to be the focus for a lot of cosmic stuff that happens. Despite that it's long period of being he's... dead. Yeah. yeah. Wait, well, and then yeah, he's resurrected? Is he cosmic Jesus? A little well, bit. I mean, nearly everybody gets resurrected. Yes. I mean, you had Quasar die in the Infinity Gauntlet and then get resurrected because of the power of the Star Brand. Spoilers. All right, well. That was actually in Quasar's comic strip, so that's, or comic book, so it's not going to be part of the Infinity Infinity Gauntlet. That's the one section of all of this mess that I actually know really well because I own the comic books. Oh, nice. And have read them multiple times. Yeah, do we want to do a wrap up or? I'm kind of, yeah, I'm good. I think we just did a wrap-up. Yeah. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Rocky Raccoon, I could watch read comics of you all the time. Yeah, it's really too bad that he, like, we get an amazing little four-issue miniseries in the 80s. We get a few random appearances between then and, like, 2000, and then he doesn't really get back into main continuity until Annihilation when he and Star-Lord team up, which is awesome. All right. Yeah. And then we have Flarking, Star-Lord. Yeah, and Asshole Spawned. In the next issue. Yeah, well, he's reborn as a good guy. Flarkin's if I was on. anybody, I would really skip it, see it if you want to for it, and I will say, Kit does give some good ideas, definitely a way to view it that I would think are really good. If you like that type of story, it's something for you, but definitely not a hero. And nothing I have said about what is happening in that story is actually accurate. It's just the lies <laughs> I tell myself to make it more readable. That's yeah, so you can totally... Sad. Skip to Marvel PU 11 and real Star-Lord appearance. I liked 4, but it's because I lied to myself. So, you know, if you're okay with doing that, go ahead. Yeah. Man. I mean, I, I'm glad I read it. I'm not. That, to me, is one of the worst comics I've read. I really was ranting about that to my wife, and I was just like, 
this is just disgusting. I mean, I can't see any hero in this guy. And she even had the same thoughts when she was just hearing about it. And I was just like, this is just one of the worst comics I've read. And I've heard there's some really bad comics. And I'm like, this is just up there for me as, wow, that you should not be Star-Lord. <laughs> yeah. I read it right after the last episode with all the Warlock stuff where he's constantly being given backstory and it was very redundant and to me kind of silly and i think that that might be part of the reason why i'm so enamored with it is just it was so different from what we read right before it he's definitely not adam warlock no. he doesn't spout off nearly as much there's far less monologuing well there's a lot more though drunken ranting at, at owls i don't know if adam warlock would have benefited from drunken ranting at owls but yeah. which that's the only thing i think i'm upset about does the owl ever come back in star lord no. Or is that, damn, that would have been like the best pet creature for Star-Lord. And there's okay. no explanation of why it's weird for him to have an owl or why he has an owl. No, no, no. Yes, not, all of this is completely ignored. But next issue, he gets ship, which is so much better. Yes. Yeah, but he should totally have an owl named Al on it. And it's just this like <laughs> robotic owl that sits there and just talks to him. It'd be wonderful. All a Clash of Titans. He just needs a clockwork owl that flies around with him. Why not? And then when he has a bad day, he just gets drunk and throws things at it. It's great. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Cosmic Tales. We'll be back next episode to take a look at Adam Warlock 12 through 14 and the further adventures of Adam Warlock. Woo! Something so much better than Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Cosmic Tales. If you'd like to leave feedback, you can email guardians at cosmictales.com, find us on Twitter at cosmictales, or leave a review on iTunes. Join us next episode where we return to the adventures of Adam Warlock and Pip the Troll.